tonight, and we're going to begin a new character study. Uh, I was looking at some different ones. It's, I was actually kind of surprised at how many uh, characters we've went through. We've went through a lot of different, uh, John the Baptist, Elijah, Moses, Ruth, and uh, Esther, and, and others, Saul, Job. So there's more, but my brain can't remember them all. But uh, tonight we're going to go to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. Jonah, if you need to know where it's at, it's between Deuteronomy and Matthew. So just right there, you'll find, then you'll have Jonah, okay? Uh, it's an easy book to miss because if your Bible's like mine, it's all on one page or one section, one, one section of pages. So uh, Jonah chapter 1. We begin to look tonight at a man in the Old Testament whose character is very debated. Now, we've looked at good men, we've looked at bad men. We've looked at Moses and Elijah, and then we've talked about Saul. And, and uh, I've started two or three times a study on Lot, and that's just so depressing. I don't know. I've, maybe I'll bring Lot one day, but it's just, I start reading and, and studying into Lot's life, and uh, it's just, uh, Lot is an example of a backslidden Christian. And there's nobody more miserable than a backslidden Christian. Nobody. And, and so, but anyway, <clears throat> this, the character of Jonah is, is debated because we find kind of in him an enigma a little bit. It's hard to say whether he's a good man or a bad man. Uh, but he does offer a lot of learning for us. And so we're going to go through some of those. The, the, the good thing about it is, like all Bible characters, he's a man. He's real. And I like that about the Bible. The Bible doesn't hold back the ugly. It gives us the unvarnished truth about these individuals. You read biography, I just, I'm reading a biography on Daniel Boone right now, and uh, big, it's a real thick book. But uh, it's all good, pretty much. I mean, it has a little bit of negative twist, but it's about Daniel Boone, so they're not going to say anything negative about him. Uh, but the Bible's not like that. The Bible is honest about its people that it writes about. And so we're going to talk about Jonah. It's a small book, only has four chapters, only has 48 verses in total. Uh, yet it's a very, it, Jonah has a big impact on mankind. Because one of the reasons is that it's probably the first, one of the first things attacked by skeptics for the impossibility of the Bible. If you talk to a skeptic or an atheist, often the first question they ask, you really believe a man was swallowed by a fish for three days? Have you, I don't know if you ever heard that question before. I have. They bring up Jonah because it's something they, they think it, it represents the impossibility. We're not going to get into it in this series, but you can look that up, by the way. He's not the last one that happened to. There's a guy happened in the 20s. It wasn't three days, but he was in there for a while. They caught, the, got the whale, killed it, opened it up. He was insane, like Jonah kind of almost was. But uh, So <clears throat> it's not an impossibility. But Jonah is a great example of our own failures. Uh, he's one of the few in the Old Testament that Jesus mentioned in connection to the resurrection, as Jonah was in the... Uh, uh, the fish for three days, so the Son of Man. And unlike other minor prophets, uh, Jonah is a little bit unique in that it's a narrative. It doesn't contain lengthy prophetic messages like Isaiah and Ezra, which we just kind of worked through in the revival services. It is a record of dramatic, action-packed events. It, it's exciting to read. It can be read in less than 10 minutes, but the lessons in it uh, can affect you for eternity. So let's read. We'll start actually just the first two verses. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, 
Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Father, I ask you tonight to bless the reading of your word in these few minutes that we have, and may we learn something from it. In Jesus' name, amen. This is not a fluffy introduction. Uh, the book opens with a declaration of duty, and that's what kind of our focus is tonight, is duty. We all have a duty to do. Jonah got his marching orders and how he responded, we'll see in the next few weeks. Not only uh, do we see the commands given uh, all through, by the way, the whole book is really about uh, duty. It's it's from the prophet to the fish. The prophet had a duty, the fish had a duty. The fish obeyed, by the way. All animals always obey God in the Bible. You never see an animal questioning. You just see people questioning. A little bit of a lesson there. But uh, these verses here set the tone for the book because There's never anything really passive or dull in this book. It's very If this were a movie, it would be an action movie. That's what I'm trying to say about the book of Jonah. It keeps moving very quickly. So the lessons in it are very clear, uh, warning to us about uh, disobeying and its consequences. So we see the commands, and then we see the consequences of the commands when they're disobeyed and when they're obeyed. So let's look at the source of duty, first of all. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Uh, the source of Jonah's duty was God's word, the word of God. This is the source of our duty as well. Uh, we get this in two ways. We get it from the Bible in precept and principle. And we talked about that a little bit in the past, but uh, the Old Testament is much stronger on precept or commands. The thou shalt not. See, there's uh, some 613 laws in the Old Testament. It's all about what you should do, should not do. Those are precepts. In the New Testament, it's much more about principle. Uh, and, and it's principle-based. Uh, I like that because it helps us uh, in areas the Bible does not address specifically. So you work off of principle. So the, uh, in Exodus chapter 20, it says, Thou shalt not kill. Jesus said, Love your neighbor as yourself. So there's, that's precept versus principle, see? And if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, you're not going to shoot him because you love yourself, you love your neighbor. And uh, so that principle really uh, brings forth the precept behind it. So those are. this is what guides us. And if you want to know God's will for you, uh, you need to know his word. If we're ignorant of God's word, we're going to be ignorant of what God wants us to do and how he wants us to live. And uh, society certainly doesn't hesitate to tell us how to act, do they? They don't hesitate at all. Remember when you couldn't walk in a store without a mask? Uh, remember now they're telling uh, girls uh, in many public schools that they have to be okay with a man going into their bathroom? And uh, society doesn't hesitate at all telling us what to do. But you keep the word of God from people, and you keep the will of God from people, which is exactly what we see in society today. We took the word of God out of schools. Now we see the will of God. <laughs> not even, not even, they're not even in the neighborhood of what God would have us to do. So the source of duty. Then the servant of duty. Uh, God had a job to be done. The people of Nineveh need to be warned about their sin. So God chose from among his servants... Jonah, the son of Amittai, and gave him the job. Jonah's name means dove. It takes on meaning when it's associated with his father's name, which was Amittai, which means truth of God. Dove is the symbol for the word peace. Uh, so we see that all throughout the Bible. It's a well-known symbol still for us for peace. And I like the idea of peace and associating it with the truth of God. Because you can't have a Jonah which is peace, without an amitai, which is truth. Uh, peace comes after truth. <clears throat> truth is, is uh, uh, truth 
seen before peace is all throughout the gospel. If a soul wants peace with God, you must receive Christ as Savior. Who is Christ? Well, the Bible says in John 14, 6, He is truth. And we have to have truth before we will have peace. There's no such thing as peace with God without first receiving Christ. And I'm also reminded of the verse in James uh, 3.17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, truth of God, and then peaceable. Peace comes after truth. Before there's going to be peace in your life, it needs to be based on that truth. I kind of like that principle there. Uh, Jonah was a prophet. He's not identified as a prophet specifically here, but in 2 Kings 14.25, he is called a servant as well as a prophet. And even in that verse, <laughs> the idea of servant comes before prophet. That's in 2 Kings 14.25. I'm going to turn there because uh, a couple of you have prayed too long. So, uh, but in 2 Kings, that was a joke. I'm kidding. Prayer is important. I'm not going to say that. Uh, but the word servant comes before prophet. Before you become a prophet, you need to be a servant. And I'm using that a little bit figuratively, but prophet speaks of position, privilege, and status. We all want that. A servant speaks of sacrifice, labor, and humility. That's not as exciting, is it? As position, power, and all those things. But you can't have one without the other. A servant comes before prophet. So lots of people want to be prophets. Not very many people want to be servants. But there is a servant uh, need in God's work today. Remember what Jesus told the disciples? See, looking out at the harvest, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he sent for laborers. A uh, lot, of, lot of people want to be consultants in God's work, but we need laborers. And we need people that are willing to do that work. And then uh, in 2 Kings, we're told that Jonah was from the town of Gath-Hefer. The town is located in the tribal territory north of central Palestine. I think it's interesting because this was about three to five miles uh, northeast of Nazareth in Galilee where Jesus spent his first 30 years. So Jonah was right from the same area that later Jesus would be from. And this is a strong rebuke for the religious leaders in Jesus' day because in John 7.52 they said, Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Not so. They were wrong because Jonah came out of that uh, area and he was a prophet. And unbelief, as we know, always ignores the facts. Then uh, in 2 Kings 14 also we see his record. He predicted that Jeroboam would reclaim some territory for Israel. And uh, uh, I like when you can slap people and make them stop talking. Isn't that nice? Uh, it happened a joke again. Okay, make sure you understand. I'm not starting new precedents here tonight. Oh, I'm getting myself in trouble. Um, in 2 Kings 14.25 he made the prediction of Jeroboam and then it happened just as he, predict, as he predicted it would. And I'm just laying the groundwork here, understanding that Jonah was an established prophet of God. He was, uh, he, he passed the test, uh, of Deuteronomy 18, where it says that if a prophet makes a prophecy or, or declares a truth, if it doesn't come to pass, he's a false prophet. Jonah wasn't a false prophet. He was proven to be true. And, uh, so this was his record. He had a good record. He was, uh, in his times as one of the, earliest prophets of the Old Testament, he was a contemporary of Amos and Hosea. Politically, he lived when Assyria was in power. Uh, Nineveh was the Washington, D.C. of Syria, uh, of Assyria. So this was a wicked city, kind of like Washington, D.C. is today. Uh, this was a powerful city, and uh, this was not a place where anybody, any person of God would want to go. Morally and spiritually, the time Jonah lived in was very bad. Judgment was inevitable. It was going to come because that's what happens 
when wickedness reigns. So uh, we also see his preparation. Now, the restoration that happened in 2 Kings when God would restore uh, Israel, this did not happen because Israel was walking obediently. The land was simply restored out of grace. Israel did not deserve it. They were living in disobedience, and yet God in His grace still restored them at that time. So Jonah, in making that prophecy, he was given a first-hand acquaintance with grace. He was able to see firsthand that God is doing something for somebody who is undeserving. Israel is disobedient, and God is still restoring them. And this should have prepared him for going to a place like Nineveh, because that certainly was a mission of divine grace too. Nineveh didn't deserve the gospel either. And by the way, can I say, none of us deserve what God has done for us. None of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve God's goodness. It is always His grace, God's riches at Christ's expense uh, given to us. So Nineveh certainly did not deserve a warning. Uh, They were very wicked people, but grace prevailed. And so God called Jonah to go give them the message. Here's the shocking thing, even beyond this, because you think, well... You know, maybe Jonah just didn't want to go because they were wicked and he was scared. Not so. He complains to God in chapter 4, verse 2. We jump ahead a little bit. He tells God why he ran from him. I fled before into Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. Now, we're going to get to this a little bit more later. But that is, I I read that as a preacher. I didn't want to preach to him because I knew you might forgive him. What kind of preacher's heart is that? I, I was afraid some of them might respond to the altar call, so I ran from the service. I didn't want to go there because I certainly wouldn't anybody anybody respond. And if they did respond, I knew you'd forgive them for what they did wrong. So I don't want to preach to them. My, oh my. Nineveh was Israel's enemy. It was a threat to Israel's very existence, and Jonah did not want to expend them grace. He would like to see them destroyed. He wouldn't want God's grace on them. Now, we can't really throw stones at Jonah because we all have more of this selfish spirit in us than we like to admit. Uh, We all like grace when we benefit from it, don't we? I mean, I'm glad God was graceful to me, and it makes sense. It was me, so why wouldn't he be graceful? All right, that's kind of how we think sometimes. But when it comes to uh, seeing our enemies experience grace. That's a little bit of a different story. We, we will serve if it benefits us, but if it benefits someone we don't like, it's a little harder for us to do. That's where Jonah was at. Jonah hated them. By the way, I'm not, I, I thought about whether I'd go into this and I probably won't, but there's a whole other side to this, uh, a lot of secular history that you can see. There's very good, uh, grounds for us to think that Assyria had Jonah's father killed. And so there was a whole, there could have been a whole bunch of family history here. There was a lot of bitterness. Uh, but even if that's not true, uh, we're going to talk about Nineveh a little bit later, but they were a horrible, horrible people. Nobody would want to go there. But Jonah had a tremendous opportunity here to preach and win thousands to the Lord. He had a wonderful opportunity to conduct the greatest revival meeting ever in history. And he almost lost his chance to do it because he ran from his duty. And this we're like Jonah. Because if we forsake our duty, then we forsake our opportunity. And we lose out on that. Because opportunity rarely comes in a fancy wrapped package. 
Opportunity usually comes in plain brown wrapping paper, and that wrapping paper is often our duty. It's unexciting, but that's where opportunity comes from. Uh, duty doesn't usually look exciting, but we don't ign ignore our duty because within our duty lies our opportunity. Let me give you a couple examples. Is discipleship exciting? Now, I enjoy it to some extent, but um, you got to come an hour early on Sunday nights. Uh, I don't know about you, but I kind of value my Sunday afternoons, and it's hard to come an hour early. Uh, by the way, you only have to do it 17 times. I've done it about 280 times and counting, so just trying to get a little sympathy there. But uh, is it exciting? Not really. It's inconvenient. It's extra work. It's extra time. Is serving at VBS exciting? Yeah, the first night. Then it gets pretty dreary and tiring, and uh, you know, you know it's time to kind of wrap up the week when you'd rather uh, strangle children than read in the Bible and listen to verses from them. Uh, is visitation, is witnessing exciting? Not really, not fleshly speaking. It's hard. It's hard to encroach on people and share the gospel to them. But all of these are, and that's just three of many, many, all of these are our duty. These are things we're supposed to be doing. And within that duty lies a great opportunity. Uh, we have we have a, a, fam, a faithful serving family in our church that came because their kids came to VBS. And, they're, and, they, and that's how we reach that family. And, and others, we have a, a, a man that comes to our church faithfully that uh, we met through the fireman, Feed the Fireman program. And, and these things that we do, opportunity lies within it. Be faithful in those areas and find an area that you can serve in uh, because your opportunity lies within your duty. So let's look at the specifics. And we are not going to get through what I had tonight. But Verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Notice four details here. His walking. The first command, I'm sorry, his waking. His first command here God gave to Jonah was arise. This is a rousing call to action. I do not believe God is ever satisfied with status quo. I think, personally, that status quo is the enemy of excellence. And I, we, we constantly, uh, Pastor Nick and, and Pastor Forsberg, and, and we meet uh, every week and we go over the plans for the week and we talk sometimes about just the ministry in general, but our desire is never to just settle in some kind of rut. I had a, a uh, college professor always said, a rut is a grave with both ends kicked out. Uh, that We don't want to be in a rut, okay? We, we don't want to be status quo. That's where growth stops. That's where momentum stops. And, and uh, I don't think God is satisfied with it. There comes a time when we must wake up and get to work and get busy about the business of uh, sharing the gospel with others. There is a spiritual war going on in our time today. And it's no time for Christians to be asleep. And tells us in Ephesians to arise and wake. Uh, God wanted his servant to charge Nineveh with the gospel, wage an attack against evil. And so the first thing he had to do was arise. Wake up, Jonah. It's six in the morning. You overslept. All right, his walk, go to Nineveh, meant a walk of 500 to 600 miles. He could not get on Expedia and book a flight. This was not that time yet. He had to walk. This would take time. It would be difficult. But every duty has a walking part, a difficulty. Uh, once Jonah gets to Nineveh, then the excitement would begin. Uh, one way or the other, he would either have his head lopped off or there would be a revival. One, something was going to happen, uh, and he probably expected the former before the latter. Uh, but first, there would come a long walk. And you can't skip the walk of duty if you want to get to the Nineveh of fulfillment and success. 
It takes some difficulty. And some people try to skip the walk, but they don't succeed in it. Duty has its glory and excitement, but it often comes after a long and necessary walk to get there. For me personally, the most exciting thing that I do is preach on Sunday mornings. Well, preach anytime. That's my father-in-law, church planter, uh, faithful uh, warrior of God. Uh, he always said, as a pastor, uh, preaching's the icing on the cake. That's just the icing. I mean, that's the fun part. There's a lot of the rest of it is not always fun part, but that's the icing on the cake. And I love, I love to get up and, in, at least in my own mind, wax eloquently. Okay, I love it, but that does not happen without a sometimes long and excruciating walk of intense reading and study and time. Uh, it takes time to get. If I skimp out on that, I don't get the satisfaction of this. Okay, and, and it's like that way in, in any type of ministry you do. Uh, if you don't have the walk of duty, you're not going to have the the uh, Nineveh of fulfillment. Missionaries spend months, sometimes years, on deputation before they get to their Nineveh. Musicians spend hours and hours and hours in practice before they can perform in a concert. Uh, students spend many hours in study before they reach the Nineveh of graduation. It's like that in pretty much every area of life. If we want the reward, we've got to be put, willing to put in the work. So every duty in life has its walking part. And then it's his ward. Jonah's assigned ward was Nineveh. This is where God sent him to preach. It was the main city of Assyria... Uh, it was the seat of Assyrian government, and it was a, uh, we're going to get into more details in another time, but it was a horrible, horrible place. They were a great threat to Israel, and this obviously had an influence on Jonah's obedience. If you really want to kind of use the um, a modern day example, I'm trying to, it's just escaped me, but um, I was just watching something the other day online, the most dangerous um, country in America in the world right now I'm trying to think of the it's one of those Muslim strongholds over there I can't remember which one it was but uh, it, it'd be the equivalent of us just getting on a plane going over there jumping up on a box and start preaching uh, that's the type of thing that Jonah faced this was a horrible wicked wicked people God called Nineveh that great city in our text this doesn't mean like that great city that not like that it was great in several ways it was great in antiquity we uh, learn of its beginning all the way back in Genesis chapter 10. This is an old city of Nineveh, and it was associated with the evil Nimrod at that time. Uh, Nineveh, Nineveh was also great in area. Archaeologists tell us that its area and its suburbs uh, were, took up as much as 350 square miles. Even Babylon wasn't that large, so Nineveh was a very large, uh, great in area. It was also great in assembly. Uh, its population was almost a million, according to archaeologists. The last verse of Jonah says that there were 120,000 who could not discern between right hand and left. This would be toddlers uh, before you're old enough to know your right hand from your left, or some teenagers, but mostly toddlers. Nineveh was great in architecture. Archaeologists have turned up evidences of great palaces and buildings, uh, evidence of city walls a hundred feet high, wide enough for chariots to have races on the top. It was of great architecture in this city. It was also great in its academics. It had a library which boasted over 16,000 clay tablets that they have actually found and fragments of them. Uh, so in Jonah's day, that would have been quite an extensive library. It was also great in its acclaim. 
Uh, Nineveh was a city of cities. And uh, as far as the world was concerned in that day anyway, it was great in animals. And this might seem odd to mention, but in chapter 4, verse 11, it says they had much cattle. But that would mean that Nineveh was self-supporting in its food supply. And this would be very vital if they were besieged by an an army around them. They would be able to self-support themselves. They were a great city in many different ways. But this mattered nothing because spiritually they were completely bankrupt. They were wicked. And so it doesn't matter how great we are physically speaking if we are devoid spiritually speaking. Mark 8.36, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So God assigned Jonah this great city and he was to go cry against it. Mark 8, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 58.1 kind of has the same Instruction for us, cry aloud, spare not, lift thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression. To cry against sin requires some backbone. It requires some character. And uh, it's not something that many people do. Even many preachers don't do that in this day and age, cry out against sin. Today, uh, people get more uh, get mad more often than they get right when you cry out against sin. It's just the way it is. Joseph Parker said, What is your call in life? To go wherever wickedness is and cry against it. Every child of God is to be a protesting prophet. Now, we don't have to be annoying. We don't have to be uh, jerks about it. But we ought to have a holiness about us that cries out against wickedness. You ever been somewhere and, and somebody curses? and Well, this happens to me all the time because of my profession. Somebody curses. Oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, curse in front of you. I always tell them, you're not offending me, especially if they use God's name in vain. <laughs> you didn't use my name in vain. You don't have to apologize to me. I mean, he's you know, stepped back. He might, he might do something, but uh, that's, that's uh, the type of testimony we ought to have that promotes holiness. People don't like this, but uh, cry against it is still the command. Any other attitude usually leads toward compromise, and we don't want to get stuck there. Um, I'm going to stop because we're over time, all right? But we're going to get to uh, the reasons Jonah would not want to do this and uh, and hopefully learn some more things as we go along. Um, there's a, a lot of Jonah that we can be critical about. I'm always careful in the Bible because as soon as I start to mentally be critical about what these people do and the decisions they make, uh, this Holy Spirit has a way of reminding me where I've done the same thing. <laughs> uh, we're not that much different. And we talk about Israelite. All the Israelites did was complain, complain, complain. We do some of that too. All the Israelites did was they would, they would get right and then they'd go right back into their sin. We do some of that too. We do what Jonah does too. We don't always do what God tells us to do. And so we have a lot to learn from him. And I, I look forward to the study. Father, we ask you to be with us the rest of this evening. Thank you for those that made it out tonight. Thank you for the passage of Scripture and the